Hello and welcome to another episode of Make and Tane Algae Podcast. Super excited about this episode. It's actually very different to my usual guest because this guest doesn't have an algae. But what she does have is such an inspiring story which I know is definitely going to really resonate with everyone listening to the podcast because I've been so inspired by Maurice's story where she's empowering homelessness through creativity and she has a charity called Accumulate. So I've had the pleasure of working with Maurice and she absolutely inspired me of her journey of how she got started and yeah she's had a massive influence on my life and it was just great to kind of get the opportunity to kind of sit down and kind of talk about the journey from the start to the finish and I think with the podcast it's always trying to educate and empower people with allergies but also inspire as well and honestly I'm so inspired by kind of Maurice's story and what she's been through to get to where she is today so yeah I'm really excited to kind of share this episode with you. Just before I jump straight into it this episode is brought to you by Olsen Hair Care which is the only hair care brand range to be approved by the Algae UK and is 100% fragrant free so it's less likely to cause a reaction. And they sent over a patch test to myself, which I kind of left on my skin overnight to make sure it was completely safe for myself. And to be honest with you, I felt a lot more at ease knowing that I was safe using it. Because there's been times where I've used kind of like hair care brands where I've been riddled with anxiety because you find that some brands kind of use ingredients which sometimes kind of use a Latin or scientific name. So it's actually really hard to see if you're allergic to it. And they're currently offering a free patch test, which is usually £4.95, but you can get it for absolutely free if you use the code MAYCONTAIN. And you also get 20% off your first purchase. I'll leave a link in my podcast description if you want to find out more. And I also leave a link on my Instagram bio as well. And finally, if you get a chance to write me a quick review on iTunes, I really appreciate it. Now let's grab a cup of tea, get yourself comfy, and let's get straight to the podcast. I'm talking to Maurice, who's the founder of Accumulate. Um, thanks, Dan. Um, and truly excited as well. So um, Accumulate is the art school for the homeless. And what it actually does is it works like an art school, but the same sort of philosophy of an art school and how it teaches creativity, but it focuses on people who are experiencing homelessness or have experience of homelessness and how we can use creativity to improve and empower their lives. And creativity, which we'll later get to in the podcast, I think is so important. Um, and obviously we met at an event in Shoreditch, which is an exhibition for the youth culture. And myself, Nathan and Luke went along to this event and we was honestly inspired, not just by the work as well, but also the kind of scholarships which they get at the end, um, which is truly inspiring. Do you remember the first encounter when we did meet at the uh, Cumulate event in Shoreditch? <laughs> oh, it's etched on my, <laughs> etched in my memory, Dad. Yeah, I mean, it was a really great event and we had this um, fashion show. We did a collaboration with Levi's and so um, all the Accumulate participants had like repurposed um, the iconic denim jacket to sort of um, reflect youth culture, which was the theme of the exhibition. And so it was a really huge buzz. And yeah, you're right, Dan, there was, um, we awarded scholarships at the end and that's very critical to how um, Accumulate works is about progression. And so every year we fundraise for scholarships for our participants to go on and study on an access course at Ravensbourne. So it's a very hyped atmosphere. And um, obviously it's like, you know, and I've like, like running around the place, you know what I mean? Like we're selling stuff, we've got people to speak to, I need to work out about like the participants and everything going okay. And then there's like people say, you really got to meet, really, everyone's very excited. you really got to meet these two people they've been asking all evening to meet you. And there you were. It was so interesting as well, because I think before the event, I think Luke, 
kind of invited myself and Nathan to it and we didn't really know anything about Accumulate. So we kind of went to it with a complete fresh perspective, really. Like we didn't know anything about Accumulate and the work you've been doing. So obviously we kind of went to um, the event in Shoreditch and was really inspired, not just by like, obviously the fashion show, but the photography as well, like was amazing. And yeah, and I think it's just like, we kind of seen how much it meant to the participants, like involved and obviously using the creativity on the denim jackets, but also kind of getting the scholarships as well. I mean, that, that was amazing i think that's what kind of was like oh my god like it just goes to show that you know what i mean if creativity can make a difference to people's life and i think it's so important yeah i think you're right i mean you know obviously there's a scholarships which is all about like progression and going to uni and for this community dan you've frozen oh you've unfrozen right okay <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> sorry for this community it's such a barrier the thought of entering university and having to pay for your fees and so you know accumulate does break down that barrier but i think you're right i mean on that on that particular project the youth culture project they did do other you know activities they did photography they did sculpture they did some podcasts there was creative writing and what i really wanted uh, as an experience was actually to build a community of those participants that they knew that they could work with each other and they were working towards a goal and that they were really benefiting from um, the sort of advancements that participation in creative activities can give you. And that is really about, you know, self-value and purpose and meaning and being able to express yourselves and, and, and being valued. And, and that was really critical to me. So when you came to that evening, you know, and people talk about people who are homeless, they have visions of, I don't know, somebody, you know, outside Sainsbury's, you know, with an old paper cup, you know, begging or something which is sort of class as sort of street homeless, but actually homelessness crosses so many um, levels and so many types of people. And so people come with a real preconception about what a, or what and who a homeless person is. And they can see through like what you did at the Accumulate exhibition, that actually these are just kids like any other kids yeah. with the same aspirations, with the same hopes that have just been hugely, hugely disadvantaged. And so they are in a way rejected and excluded from society. And that is what, you know, something like education can change because people have got that potential and it's just about working with that potential to ensure that they sort of are supported and feel able to reach that next stage, whether it is going to uni and doing a, um, you know, a, a, an access course or whether it is going back into employment or whether it's, you know, reconnecting with your family or whether it's, you know what, I'm going to get up before 11 o'clock yeah. each day or, or I'm going to go to the gym. It's irrelevant, whatever that, goal is if they can get there and we can support them to get there that's that's success to me yeah and I think that's so important not everyone has the same opportunities in life and I mean it's and it's amazing obviously you're giving them that opportunity obviously like you said the community aspects and feeling part of a community I think it's so important that they can all kind of help each other but also obviously the kind of creative workshops and and I think it's amazing because I, I do feel as well with creativity as well, like it's not probably seen as, as important as maybe maths or English or science. And I, f I do feel like it is such an important subject. And I, I feel like, I don't know if schools are taking it more important, but remember when I was at school, like there was, creativity is not really seen as like a, a, a career you can kind of go down. Yeah, no, you're so right. It's almost seen as sort of like a B-lister, do you know what I mean? Like even now, even with the impact that we've had about the creative industries and their value to the economy and you know obviously we can go on for ages about that but people do see it as almost like a lesser choice do you know what I mean like if your kid wants to go and study something creative or oh, it's a soft subject you know 
I'm a true academic. You know, what I'm saying? Yeah. Some, you know what I mean? Like there's a thing academic and then there's creative, but it doesn't mean, you know, it's like they're not separate, you know? Absolutely. And yeah, and the impact of creativity is huge, you know, not just from the financial point of view, especially now with what we're going through at the moment with COVID, from the point of well-being and mental health, you know. I mean, you're not going to go into your physics like equation. Oh <laughs> yeah, make you <laughs> I say, you know what? I feel so good after me. <laughs> well, you might do, but you know, but I think you know, creativity is very important for well-being. Obviously, improving mental health. If you're feeling particularly lonely and vulnerable, it can be a real means of escaping that um, sort of spiral of negative negativity. And I thought it'd be real. I thought it'd be great, obviously, to get you on the podcast to kind of talk about your story of how you kind of found Nukemate because obviously you was a tutor. Um, and then obviously you was the founder of the Crouch End Festival. Can we talk a bit about that? How, I mean, did you get into education first and then later founded the Crouch End Festival, which then led to Accumulate? Yeah, so my, um, I'm slightly more mature than you, Dan. So my, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're so young as ever. <laughs> I'm like probably older than your mum. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I mean, I did fine art for my degree, and then I um, left college. I, I set up a design business. I don't know how old I was, like 22, 23, something like that. Really, really young, and um, you know that became very successful. And we sold like you know to Liberties and Harrods and Selfridges and all around the world. It was a you know a ceramic design business, and then Amazing. you know I realised that actually I would have probably advanced this business far greater and with far better acumen if I'd only been taught about how to make money from creativity when I was at uni like I really wasn't nobody even talked about it do you know what I mean and yet so many people who who study creative subjects will take on freelance work and they don't even know how to price themselves they don't know how to you know market and all that sort of stuff their work and so I went into education to help change that and so I set up a lot of enterprise related courses and um, initiatives to do with you know with with business and with also with intellectual property. So a whole, you know, very high profile project. And about 2010, which is just over 10 years ago, I mean, I was, you know, elevated up this ladder, you know, really important, you know, I had meetings with government, you know, invited to speak at conferences, really, you know, high powered job, very, very stressful job, very demanding job. And, um, and but it started to impact on me, do you know what I mean? Like it was really, really affecting me mentally. I was so distracted. I was, you know, couldn't sleep at night. I was under a huge amount of pressure with deliverables and everything. And so, yeah, about 10 years ago, I, I drove to work and I literally couldn't get out of my car, physically could not get out of my car. And I had, I was just absolutely, I was abs- the only way I can describe how I felt, it was like a car. I was a car, but it was driving on empty. Do you know what I mean? Like I had yeah. nothing left inside of me. Nothing. Empty, empty, empty. <clears throat> yeah, I, I remember when you, I was going to say, I remember when you told me this story over a coffee. Like, I think like we, we was having a coffee and we just before we got into the meeting, I think I asked you this question about like, obviously, because you was in this, like you said, high-end job, like the, the money was probably very, very good. You know what I mean? You, but like you still didn't feel fulfilled or there was something like missing, like, I'd, I mean, I sort of fulfilled my, I made it my life. Do you know what I mean? That was also the problem. I made it my life and it became so central to my identity, but also it was so impacting on everything else that was in my life. It was impacting on me as a person, 
on my family, you know, how I was living, how who I was as a person. I was this sort of super boss. And so that meant you had to behave in a certain way. I couldn't be like the yeah. stupid Maurice that I am usually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the business <laughs> And it was, yeah, it just wasn't enjoyable, you know, it really, really wasn't enjoyable. And I was just, I, at that day I, I drove home and uh, I sort of lay on a sofa for about a year, really. I mean, it wasn't like a full, I wouldn't call it like a nervous breakdown or something, but I was absolutely like empty. I was, had nothing, I had no energy in me. I just couldn't find my way back into whatever it was. Did you, did you feel it creep up on you? Is it something what just happened overnight or do you feel like it's something which has happened? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it was over like three, you know, I, I finished a really, really huge project in the June of that year. And by October, I was broken. So I'd say like four months it took, you know, finished a really, really big project. And then yeah. How long did it take, once you hit that, that, that point where, like you said, you was completely drained, how long did it take you then to get back to your normal self? This is all like really part of like the backgrounds to accumulate really because I sat on that sofa for a year watching like Thelma and Louise. <laughs> Literally, I must have watched that film about four times. Anyway, you know, and just like really just unable. And I just kept thinking, you know what, you're going to be okay, Maurice. You're going to get back to it because you've been there before and you can do it again. Yeah. You know, and I've had like you know past times in my life when I sort of you know gone through very hard um, experiences, but I've always come out the other side and I've always come back stronger. And, but this was taking so long, you know, and there was like nothing I could do. do you know I mean, like, I mean, I was trying, I was knocking on these doors and nothing was opening. But in that year, what I did do, which was really important, was I reevaluated myself and who I was and what I wanted to do. And, and I just, you know, I wrote down all these like random crazy thoughts in these sort of little uh, journals. And sometimes I look back on, on them and in this journal, I wrote, you know, what do you want to do? And it really was about making impact and getting back to the roots of education, which is actually, you know, to, to create, you know, uh, to improve people's lives through that. I wasn't interested in, in running, you know, or being part of the organization well I was part of the executive team at university and I wasn't really interested in running the university or helping to run yeah. the university I was much more interested in the grassroots stuff of teaching and especially teaching sort of hard to reach audiences and thinking about like what I'd lost and I had I didn't feel part of my community anymore because I was like leaving for work like you know half six seven in the morning coming home at eight nine o'clock at night I mean it's ridiculous right so in that year I, I don't even know, I mean, I don't, like it was so random. Somehow, somewhere, I don't know how, but I heard that they wanted to set up an arts festival in my local area and we had to go and meet, they wanted to meet in a coffee shop to set it up. And I just thought, this is up my street. I'm definitely going to yeah. this meeting. Off I go to this meeting. And I just sat at this table with, <laughs> and it sounds horrible, <laughs> but this biggest bunch of weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> really like people like you know there was me Mrs High Flyer do you know what I mean like having meetings with like the Department of Culture Media and Sport about you know what we were going to do with the creative yeah, yeah. and then like literally you know six months later I'm on some table in this coffee shop and there was a woman dressed entirely in purple there was another woman there she had half her hair black and half her hair white there was another <laughs> guy that dressed up as if it was part of like the um, quite like, an interesting experience then from one end of the spectrum to people probably being in suits like, like you know cavalier clothing you know with puffy yeah. like breeches and there was me sitting there thinking like what on earth <laughs> 
what is going on? Like, how have I got here? Yeah. All the outsiders have come to this. And I thought, you know what, Maurice? You're an outsider now. Embrace, Embrace it, it. Yeah. yeah, because what I realised in that year was I didn't belong. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't part of, you know, I didn't belong in my workplace anymore. I literally I walked from there. You know, I hadn't got that identity anymore. I, I, I had just taken, I, it just all gone, gone from me. So I was as much of an outsider as them. Like, who the hell are you? You know, Mrs. High Fly, but now yeah. I'm actually sitting on a sofa watching Thelma and Louise. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we helped set up. So I, yeah, so I helped set up the first, well, I, I set up the Crowdchain Festival. There was about three or four of us actually became directors of it. And I remember in the second year of that or something, um, there's a hostel in my local area, YMCA hostel, and they got in contact um, with with um, with festival, and I said, oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll you know I'll meet them or whatever. And so, um, and I'd walk past this hostel every day when I used to drop my kids off at school, never realised it was an actual hostel, didn't even know what it was, like completely blanked it. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't. Oh really? Even you just didn't even quite cough yeah, on it. Yeah, you know, crowd like where I live is like full of coffee shops and hairdressers and estate agents you know that it's got a hostel right in the begin- middle of it and no one knows it's like, yeah. It, yeah it's like nobody even like it's not even talked of as part of the community it's like it's completely separate so there was a hostel full of what you might call outsiders right you know people who were, were homeless and um uh, you know for a multiple you know amount of reasons and 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 i went and spoke to them and i and i spoke to the group and i said look Let's do some creative activities together. I don't know what they're going to be. You know, I mean, literally, it's my first conversation with you. And I said, but whatever we're going to be producing on this work, these workshops will be at the Crouch End Festival and you will have an exhibition. So, um, yeah, so I said, whatever, whatever you're going to be, um, whatever we produce as part of the Crouch End Festival will be at the exhibition. And you're going to have an exhibition because I'm the director of the festival and that's it, you know, job yeah. done. Anyway. So that was the whole premise of it. And I just thought, this is like Nirvana to me. What is it? It's education, it's creativity, it's community. It's like all packaging to one as well. It's the excluded, you know, it's ev- yeah. it's impact, it's everything I wanted, right? Anyway, so uh, so that's how we started. And so the first thing I did was sort of do um, a call out to the um, sort of local crouching community. And I sort of said, you know, who wants to do a workshop at the hostel? You've got to realise this is like 2014, 13, 14, 2014, right? Very, very different vibe. Then it is now, yeah. Yeah, you know, you really were. It's not like everybody now is really into this whole community and the underprivileged and there's a lot more conversation. There wasn't those sorts of conversations. Back then there wasn't any conversation. Obviously, social media probably wasn't as as big as it is now as where people are talking about social issues, yeah. Exactly, you're so right. You know, it was used differently. And um, anyways, I sent out this email. I don't know how many were on the mailing list, like 800 people, whatever. And I, I didn't care what it was. It was. It could have been mosaic. We were going to be doing. It could have been. I don't know. A t-shirt decoration. It could have been some jewelry. I really didn't care what it was. I just wanted to do like a creative workshop. Yeah. And only one person got back to me, and that was a photographer called Neil Martinson, and he'd done work in the community with photography before. And, you know, and I met him and I just thought, well, what the hell? You know, I haven't got anybody else here, do you know what I mean? And so we came up with the idea of doing this sort of pop-up portrait studio in the canteen of the hostel. 
So, well, you saw Accumulate now, right? But that first, that was the first workshop we did. We had one set of lights. Our backdrop was a bed sheet, right? And one camera and a tripod. And, but, uh, so like, you know, compared to what we yeah. are now. It's like mass, yeah, like how it's evolved from like one. Yeah, I feel like every year I feel like Accumulate and we'll get to, I feel like it's just getting bigger and bigger. And like, I mean, we'll get to the fundraising as well because I'm really interested about how you, got to the fundraising but yeah it's it's so fascinating to find out like the roots of accumulate and where you started off to where it is now that's how it started that was that one workshop and and um you know and i was just a witness to it and i just looked at it and i just thought wow you know what I, mean? I could see people feeling really purposeful they felt like amazing have their portrait it was a portrait workshop yeah. their photograph taken or if they were taking the photograph they felt in charge and in control all things that maybe they didn't feel and so that's how we started. We started with photography, but obviously now we do, you know, right across the creative spectrum. But for, I would say for a good three years, three, four years, yeah, we just did uh, photography workshops and then we branched out into, you know, other... Um... Was it quite a natural kind of involvement then? Obviously you started off at photography and then, it, or then you got involved in the fashion element. I mean, was it... Uh, I think also we were reactive as well we had opportunities come our way and then we just pivoted so you know like the um the fashion one that came out of a conversation about youth culture we said well, wouldn't it be great to do something around like you know the denim jacket you know you know we did ceramics the vna approached us you know out of the blue they were following yeah. us on instagram and then you get this message saying oh this is the victorian album museum we'd like to work with you and it's like what that's <laughs> you insane yeah and, but that was just like and, so surreal so surreal and um they had um and they sort of said what do you want to be doing and i sort of said you know i want to be uh, i'd be really great to do ceramics they said well we've got ceramic studio come and use them it's like yeah. okay so that sort of thing so there's a lot of reaction but there was some stuff which was really proactive like when we set up the radio station when we did the book when we did um you know more of um i don't know when we did the writing right. workshops we did the sculpture workshops those are things that initiated rather than those coming into us. So it's, I suppose it's yeah. a bit of both, really. And uh, I was going to ask you about, in regards to like fundraising, because um, I think I've spoke, I'm, I feel in my line of work, obviously outside of work with May Contain that I've kind of spoke to a few charities before. And one of the main topics which always gets brought into discussion is obviously fundraising and how you kind of go about that. Can we talk about your first ever fundraise, which is Preserves? with purpose. Oh my God, you are really going back. I've done my research, research man. <laughs> yeah, you see, I can glide it over that. All right, so when I went to the um, hostel and had that conversation with them, back in whenever it was, 2013, 2014, what I witnessed in front of me, and if you're talking about fundraising, when I went, this is, um, I suppose, um, what anybody who does fundraising will be aware of. I looked at this group of people that I was going to be working with. This is the first meeting I had with them. I had really, really high um, BAME, you know, black and, and people of colour, etc. I had um, unemployed, homeless, low education, young. Um, I had all the factors that would be a fundraiser's dream, okay? Because you, you, know, you have these tick boxes, who are you going to be reaching and what yeah. are you going to be doing? Do you know what yeah. I, mean? I had in front of me the fundraiser's dream, right? And then I looked at it and I sort of started to understand more about, you know, this 
um, situation. And I thought, well, actually, this is, you know, I it could, it's an easy win to go out and get some money, right? Not an easy win, but it, do you know what I mean? Like, because I've got the fundraiser stream, it wouldn't. It, it's more likely that I would have success. Let's put it yeah. like that. No, I understand. I thought. Yeah, but then I looked at this and I thought, yeah, but this is wrong because what you've yeah. got here is you've got a group of people who are so used to having stuff done for them, right? So their breakfast is made for them in the, and their dinners are made for them in the hostel. You know, their room is supplied for them. They, you know, there's a sort of a regime at the hostel. There's very little independence. There's very little ownership of their path because so much of it is controlled externally, right? And I said, this is wrong. What we've got to do is we've got to start to make our own money because we're not going to get ownership and people feeling that this is their project unless they've invested something into it, which is their time or their experience or their knowledge, etc. And that's where my enterprise, sort of, I suppose, experience comes from. I think taking on the ownership as well is so important in any project. Like, because I feel like I feel like in companies, you know, where you get micromanaged and then you don't take ownership because you get micromanaged, then that's when you don't feel fulfilled. But like, there's some companies where they give you that ownership and then you want to go further. Or you want to prove, you know what I mean? So I think, I think that's quite an interesting way to kind of look at it. Yeah, they're really important as well as people who people who, you know, to take responsibility sometimes you just don't feel you've got that responsibility for whatever reason and so i said right well we're going to do something we're going to make something and whatever we're going to be making you know we're going to be selling we'll sell at a local craft fair or whatever and um you know and i had to think about right we've got to make something which is has got like no initial cost to it or low initial cost to it that has got a wide appeal and that we can sell easily right and that's how the idea of the accumulate preserves with purpose came about. So the idea, don't even know, you have done your research. I think it's such a clever idea. It's like the simplest idea. I was like, I when I was like, I think we spoke about it, but I, I know I don't know if a bit of research, but maybe we might have spoke about it a year and a half ago. But I just think it's like the simplest idea ever, and it's yeah. Rocket science, and it's not new, and there's plenty of you know people doing it. But the idea was that we were going to gather, we were going to get fruit um, from people's allotments and gardens, surplus fruit from people's allotments and gardens, and we were going to make jams and chutneys with it. And then we would sell them at the Crouch End Christmas Craft Fair, which was easy. <laughs> of course, I was going to get a place there because I'm the director. Right? <laughs> and so, so let's say so I did this like call out and I said, right, this is what we want, you know, allotment, um, you know, any surplus fruit, you know, from your allotments and, you know, jars and all this sort of stuff. And I'm telling you to so come home from work because I was back working then and I'd get to my front door and there'd be like bountiful sacks of this stuff. Do you know what I mean? People were just like, offloading oh this is great offloading masses the husband was going mental because it's like where to put all this stuff like <laughs> there's like these jars everywhere you're like oh my god it's like what are we gonna do those plums yeah big. i mean it was like crazy what we were getting donated oh yeah and that's how we started like you know accumulation it was like preserves preserves of the purpose and like you know what let me just tell you you're never going to get rich from making like jams and chutneys we started like, making them in like you know, the church um, kitchen, you know, there's yeah. me, Sean, Ramsey and Elford, you know, making them and everything. But it was fine, you know, and it, we weren't going to get rich out of it. But I tell you what it was, which is actually really interesting. 
it was such a cookie crazy story that we were making jams yeah. to pay the creative workshops that people really loved it. You know what I mean? Like it was like yeah. so absurd, but it was people it was got behind it. Yeah. Yeah, really got behind it, you know, really loved the whole premise that we were, um, you know, using surplus to do social good. So, so um, yes, and then but they were buying, the, you know, the jam, for, I don't know what it was, £4.50, and they knew that money was going to go and pay for creative workshops. So we self-funded ourselves initially, and that was, um, and I think it was a really important, I mean, important part of our learning journey. You know, as I said, you're never going to get rich from doing it, so I wouldn't do it again. And it's just, I literally paid for itself, but it, it got, got us awareness and when awareness, you start yeah. off the thing you want to have is you want to have awareness you want to have this engagement externally that means that you can progress the next stage so so that's how we started and then i think that first year we, or we got an arts council grant and we've had lottery funding we've had you know uh, community funding uh, we've had you know Royal, uh, rsa royal society of arts and we've had a lot of support we've had support from law firms and financial brokers and we get donations and, so and, and i was going to say like since then like it's gone from strength to strength so you did your first ever graphic novel created by people affected by homelessness and i mean that was incredible i mean where did that idea come about was it a very much brainstorm with the team and then you realized never in my um you know, it wasn't in my sort of plans for Accumulate, we're going to be making the book of homelessness. But, um, so it was, you know, it wasn't in, in, in a strategy or anything like that, but um, somebody that I knew through somebody else, oh, I really want to get involved with Accumulate, you know, let's have coffee, whatever. Okay, but I can't see where this is going because this person called Henny is a graphic novelist that she write, she, you know, she's a published author, but it's a graphic, like she does yeah. graphic novels. So for anyone who doesn't understand, Graphic novels is like, you know, instead of it being in text format, it's almost like um, comic drawn, I would spurt. So, yeah. You know, like, you know, speech bubbles, that like sort of collage, thing. Yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a very visual way of telling yeah. a story. Anyway, so we met with her, you know, and I just thought, well, you know, all I can think is that, you know, we'd get this story written about people who are homeless who should tell their story. And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, and so that's not what I'm really about. I said, we get asked so many times by external, you know, artists, or you know, especially photographers, can we come in and take photographs? You know, I'm doing a project about homelessness. Can I come and take photographs? And I was like, no, you know, these people are, you know, the accumulate participants are artists. They're not yeah. like, no, a product. Pieces of content, product. yeah, so someone can like put, yeah, yeah post it. I mean, yeah. you can take a photograph of it and it says photograph by Dan Kelly and you get the glory and my poor student gets like nothing. Yeah, you no no credit for it, yeah. Exactly, you know, you know, they're not there for that purpose. And I said, no, let's flip this, right? Let's do it. That's, that, it that the graphic novel will be written by the people whose stories it is. They're going to be the creators. We're yeah. just going to facilitate them and support them on the journey, but they are going to have that They're ownership. They're going to come up with their own story from their experiences. And I feel like that message is so much stronger than someone else telling their story for them. And when it's actually from them, like, yeah. Yeah, why can't they tell their own story? Yeah. Like, you can tell your story, so why can't they tell their story? Yeah, absolutely. So that's how, you know, So then I started doing a bit more research and I could not find anywhere that there was any graphic novel which had been created by people who are homeless right it's usually created about them 
or that, they, you know, but it's not that they've had ownership over it. And that's, I suppose, that goes back to, you know, the fun and jokes that we had about pres preserves with the purpose. It is about ownership and it's about control and it's about responsibility. Yeah. So that was the idea. So, I mean, you know, then I got really excited about it. Well, I thought, God, it's going to be the first of its kind, you know, that, yeah, that yeah. and I thought, right, well, I don't want to not be able to do this now. And the risk was that if we went for funding, external funding, we may not be successful in our bids and therefore we're not going to be able to produce this book, right? Yeah. And so when I, but when, and when I, and I didn't want that to happen. And you've got this like, you know, you write the bid and then you've got to wait, I don't know, six weeks, 10 weeks to hear if you're successful or not. Well, yeah. I was going to be running out of time, you know, to, to do this in the, in the time frame that I wanted. So I said, right, you know, we're going to crowdfund. So it's this whole thing back about ownership, right? We're going to make yeah. our own money, right? If they're going to tell their own stories, I'm going to put the time in now to get that money in. And that, you know, it was, it was a significant amount of money that we needed in. It was like 18 and a half thousand pounds, which is a lot of money yeah. to get from crowdfunding. And we started off- so did, you, did you have to work out, did, was, it, was it one of them where you kind of worked out the cost of if we was going to do this book and then you got this sum of 18 and a half thousand and then- I think that's quite interesting as well because I didn't know you crowdfunded for it. I think I might have seen it, but might have not like. So yeah, that's really. Yeah, so we we um so we went through it all. You know how much the tutors cost, how much does the art director cost, how much does cost for lunches, travel costs for the participants. You know what about like our social media costs? What about our you know all these different things? You know we yeah. had to we had to work out. Um, you know how much was. And then the PR for the book going to cost us. And it worked out to be 18 and a half thousand pounds, you know. And we started off, we started off in about October time, 2019. And yeah, and we hit target. I mean, I was literally sitting in a cafe with that same woman I started the journey off with, with Henny and Joanna, who was another tutor. And they were discussing all the time. I'm looking on my phone because I thought, we're about to hit, we're about to hit, we're about to hit. No and way. Right. And we hit target about a week, 10 days early, which is like amazing. So yeah, so we got the money in and then we knew, right, we're starting now. It's yeah. real. We're going to go for it. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's how the Book of Homelessness came about. And, you know, I had no idea when we started off this journey that it was going to be the success it turned out to be. I had no knowledge whatsoever. I wanted to talk to you about that. Was you just honestly overwhelmed and surprised at the amount of attention it did get because it was in every press outlet, it was in It's Nice it was on every big news outlet. Was you overwhelmed and surprised at the, the response it got? You start this journey off, you know, and I'm sure like Dan with, with May Content, you think, oh, this is a nice little project little side number I've got going on here yeah. and then all of a sudden it, it sort of blows I mean I think there was a couple of we had interest very very early on like we started the project off in January 2020 and already we had interest from a film company you know what I mean from a production house about it so we I thought well this is something you know interesting yeah. but and those discussions are long. Do you know what I mean, they're still ongoing. They are long discussions. But it was like, whoa, do you know what I mean? And then we started the project off and we had, you know, I don't know how many, like 20 participants and they, you know, really, really gave their time. It's really fantastic vibe and we were really going for it. And they were producing like amazing work. And then we hit like lockdown, right? So that was March. It was literally two weeks before we go. So we were meant to publish in June. 2020 and we yeah. ended up publishing in November 2020 because of COVID, COVID and yeah. all that happened. 
And in a bizarre and awful way, COVID has really emphasised the differences in, in society and who is privileged and who is not. Yeah. And, you know, the disadvantaged and the advantage. And we're all much more aware of people maybe who are lower down the chain, you know, because they're experiencing yeah. COVID in a very different way to those of us who've got like, you know, homes and jobs and food, yeah. and food right? And uh, <clears throat> so, and I think that was part of why we got the huge amount of like um, press attention because, you know, we started, we had a publication date of November 16th. We started the PR sort of building awareness mid to end September, so, you know, about six weeks in advance. And already we were getting like, you know, high end interest from what? And I think yeah. it was because of that, because people were much more sensitive you know more, more aware as well i think some people are just like desensitized sometimes unless like the vets unless they've experienced it or they're educated about it and i think i think that's one thing about accumulate yeah it's amazing about the workshops but it's also like you're educating it's like educating as well you know what i mean i i didn't know too much about homelessness before obviously i went to the event in shoreditch and obviously met yourself and kind of seeing the impact it does have and you know what i mean like so yeah, I think it is so important. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think that whole commercial thing, you know, we couldn't spend our money on anything else. You know? I mean, we couldn't go out and spend money and like nobody was buying like Prada coats, you know? <laughs> yeah. time, you know, it was like, you know, it was, uh, we'd all, we all, everyone was starting to shift. People were trying, they're thinking differently about themselves and about, you know, their careers and vocations. And, you know, I, I don't know whether it was because of that, but we did get a lot of attention. So, you know, like you said, like we were within, it's nice that we had Dazine, we had The Guardian, we were on, you know, radio, we were on radio in the States and Germany, you know, it was like crazy, you know, and, um, and it was sort of, um, it was interesting for us as well, because like I said, I, I hadn't anticipated this response at all. Yeah. And we just hit it at a certain time, which was like really like of advantage. So, and and you're right, you're so right about education and awareness because what I didn't realize was the impact of this book. I just thought this would be nice for, you know, people in our sector was actually, it did raise awareness that homelessness is so broad and what the reasons are for it. And it can affect so many people in so many different ways. And it's like, when I started off and I said, these aren't just people that sort of, that you envisage just sleeping on the streets or whatever. Yeah. There's people who may be sofa surfing, there are people who are fleeing countries, who are fleeing relationships, who are fleeing their families, you know, who are fleeing, who've got their own mental issues of sort of fleeing themselves. And prison, we had, you know, ex-offenders in there, you know, a whole wide drug abuse, you know, whole spectrum of stuff is in this book and it's just a random group of 20 yeah. people that came to the accumulate workshop and i you know and, and then started to tell their story what, what really stood out to me was um last year we did the kind of end of year kind of recap of accumulate and obviously what you've done in the year and obviously um the kind of participants got like scholarships and um a few of the participants kind of spoke about their experiences and i think like Luke's story was was so emotional and it I know it got me in tears and I think got a lot of other people in tears um as well because it was just so I don't know like what he's had to go through and his experiences and I mean you can meet him you wouldn't you would never know you know what I mean like you meet Luke and never know that he's gone through all these experiences and and I and when he kind of spoke about accumulate and what he meant to him and I mean that was absolutely 
like incredible and inspiring and emotional. It was such a mixed bag of emotions. Um, and that must be, I was going to say, that must be quite nice to hear, like kind of the influence of what accumulate means to, to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think you're right. Like, yeah. You know, when, when Luke spoke, and I think it was Jade and Amalia spoke at that event, it was like the Zoom showcase. And, I, you know, I mean, I was literally thinking, like, what are we going to be doing for the end of year exhibition? We can't have some sort of fantastic event. We're going to have to do it over Zoom, etc. And, yeah, it was very, very emotional. And people do say about Cumulate that it actually really saved them. And it's, you know, it's given them a reason to go on and they've changed their lives and, and, you know, they're so much better and they've got a group of friends now they never used to have. And they've got, you know, it's, it is fantastic. But like, you know, Dan, we started off this conversation saying, well, how did you start accumulating? You spoke to me. And like at, in that time, it was so horrific for me when I had this terrible sort of rejection from life, you know, from myself. And I, as much as like accumulate has saved, for want of a better word, or, or purpose, given purpose, to people who maybe didn't have that purpose beforehand. It's been exactly the same for me. You know, it's the best thing I've done in my career, you know, and I've had a, you know, a long career and I've had like loads of successes in my career, but it is absolutely the best thing I've done. So as much as it's saved them, if, if it has saved them or it's given them something wonderful, it's, it's done exactly the same for me. So, you know, it's, it's two-way yeah. traffic. No, that, I think that's just so inspiring, and um, I can't agree more. When you've when you've got purpose, I I do feel like your life is more fulfilled, and I feel that with making contain. Like, if I didn't have making contain, then I don't think I don't know what would my purpose be. Like, you know what I mean? To get more money or get more responsibility. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Sometimes because I do feel like yeah, it's having a career, and you know what I mean, is amazing. Obviously. But I also think it's nice to have that purpose as well to help people on the way. And some people do that when they get to the top where they've got lots of money, then they try and help out. But I think... Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I think it's... You know, there's a really interesting book that's been written about, written by Liam Black, and it's called The A to Z of Social Entrepreneurs, right? And there's one bit in it where he talks about the, the shininess of the glitter that surrounds people who are doing social good. You know, there's a lot of people that are almost thinking, wow, that's amazing, while they go off and earn like loads of big money elsewhere. You know, it's a choice that you've made and it is a bit glittery and it is a bit shiny, I suppose. People do get very attracted by the notion of it, but it's not easy, Dan, you know, from running yeah. the you've got to give a lot of, you know, you know, it doesn't pay the bills. You know, I don't earn anything, you know, I don't, all my time is voluntary on, on, on the Cumulate. It doesn't pay the bills, but it makes me richer in another way. I'm richer so in life, yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think that really stood out to me when we when we when we had that coffee that time. When you, and you said I'm I'm more rich now than I would have ever been, and I've I think that's well. You know what I mean? With making tea, like yeah, I, I don't get paid for it, and the amount of hours you put into it, and. You know what I mean? Like doing the workshops, uh, do, you know, doing the fundraising. I don't think people understand that. It's not just like the workshops and what you read in the articles. It's everything else, what goes on behind the scenes as well. Like. Uh, so it's not all the shininess. It's not all the glory. It's not all the press coverage. I mean, it's so much work that goes yeah. into it. You know, it's not just the planning. We'll do a nice creative course or, you know, let's do like you know, let's do an outing to an exhibition. It's none of that, you know, it, it's all the admin, you know, it's like huge, you know, it's a job in itself. And so it, is a, it does look a bit shiny from the outside, yeah. but it, it's hard, but it's, but it's like purposeful, you know, and that's what 
I, you know, when people say, what do you do? That is what I say I do because that is mine, you know? And, and I, when that awful, terrible year off, I sort of said to myself, you know, I'm never going to work this hard for anybody else again. You know, I mean, I literally sacrificed my soul. And with Accumulate, you know, I made the choice to work to work that hard. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's my project or whatever, but, you know, and, and, and it benefits so many other people. And I suppose, yeah, it is my choice to do that. And I only make it as hard as I want it to be. Do you know what I mean? But I don't want to yeah. go, you know, I could just decide I would just do one course this year. We don't have to do seven, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in control of that, you know. And I think it's so interesting when you kind of spoke about that kind of, when you did have that year off where you kind of kind of reevaluated like kind of your purpose or goals or what it is, what what does make you happy. I mean, it's so interesting. My mum always says like, don't get to that point where, because it is so hard to get out of it, you know, when you, because there's been times where I felt like physically, emotionally drained from like working all the hours and then probably trying to do all the hours and maintain as well. And it just gets to a point where I'm like, oh my God, like, so physically drained and my parents see that my parents like don't get to that point because it's so hard then to get back to where you are and I think I think it's great that obviously kind of discussing it and hearing about other people's experience because I think um, a friend the other day like he he experienced it where he hit that point and it's so hard then to get back to you who you are it's, yeah I think that you just sort of forget yourself you know you, I was just sort of acting this part you know this big shot part and it's quite interesting I've got two daughters you know and um they sort of say you know it's sort of there's it's one side of it which is you know it's a real role model in being that uh, as a female you know to really work that hard and to be at the top of your tree you know it's a really good thing and um, my youngest always says to me, Mum, I totally get it. I totally get this house. It's all about girl power. Do you know what I mean? It's I about love that, yeah. you, can do it, you know? So and it's quite interesting. So I've got one daughter who's really going for it, really competitive, really ambitious. Do you know what I mean? She's really super driven. I mean, like off the scale driven, right? And my other daughter is saying, right, I've seen what it did to my mum, and I'm choosing a values-driven approach, which is about, you know creativity and yeah. purpose and whereas the other one's going yeah I want the big house I want the big car <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's interesting so you know but at least I've seen it you know they, yeah. they, they like, know about I it think, I think when they see it from you like because I, I shared my recent post was um it's by he's a fighter he's called Conor McGregor but he he's, he's he's very successful now um he's got the money the big house the big cars and everything but he kind of spoke about hard work um, and in the post, it says, like, when my son kind of grows up, he's quite young at the minute, so he probably doesn't quite understand. But when he sees the, the amount of hard work I put in to get to where I am today, and, like, my dad has always said that, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? You've got to work super hard, you know, if you want nice things in life, like, nothing's ever kind of given to you. And I think, I think like, parenthood and, and seeing how your parents, you know, work efforts and experiences has a massive influence on your kids. So, yeah, it's quite interesting to hear, you know, both your daughters, like, both both driven, but both from, like, like obviously... By values, yeah, yeah. it was just by commerce, you know, yeah. so, which is fine, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you know, they make their choices and they're young, do you know what I mean? And, and I think you're right, you know, when you see your parents, you can, not every child wants to imitate their parents, you know, yeah. and it's sort of odd now, you know, 
I'm back in education, really at grassroots level. My husband's a teacher, so we're both very much on that values and purpose yeah. line, you know. So you know, your kids, you, you can't control your kids, yeah. you know. They've and got to kind of learn, yeah, from yeah, their experiences learn. and mistakes. Exactly. So, so and and um, yeah, it's it's just you know, I'm at a very different stage in my life. You know, I'm not going for the big career now. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not interested. You know, I want to do stuff that is that is. I don't know, that reflects my values more, you know, and I can, and, yeah. I'm, and, I, and it's good that I can have that choice. And I made that choice in, in that year. And, and in a bizarre way, I am so grateful for that awful year because I wouldn't have what I've got now yeah. if I hadn't have broken then, you it's know. Just, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, like looking back in it, like, and I've, um, I think Steve Jobs said, you can't join the dots looking forward. You can only join the dots looking backwards. And I think that's probably... Happened, you know what I mean? It just really wouldn't have happened. And... Uh, you know, and, and, and now I laugh at it, you know, I look back and I, and I laugh and I think you bunch of losers, you know, look at me now, you yeah. know, you thought I couldn't survive, you know, you thought you were going to crush me, but look at me now. Oh, look how like fire your head now. I think that's so important. I mean, I kind of wanted to talk about, um, the kind of final thing I kind of want to talk about was obviously when we got to work together, um, last January, which is like the Accumulate Fashion Show. Oh, judgment. Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to see it? Look, there it is. Can you- can see the poster in the back, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought I saw that earlier. Like it's amazing that he's still got my mum actually got mine. <laughs> so, so when when I went back home, sorry, I had to put the camera back on. When I went back home over um Christmas, my mum has actually put mine in the frame. <laughs> so I've 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 actually got it. I've actually got it a frame now in my bedroom back at home, which is really nice. <laughs> so amazing. Uh, yeah, that was it was just so brilliant. No, like, you know, I just felt a bit sorry for you and Nathan because honestly, I am a nightmare to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said in my talk, I remember I said in my final talk, I watched it this morning, I said, one thing you do is like, don't give uh, Marisha your number because she'll be, she be messaging you every day saying, Dad, have you done this? Or Dad, have you done that? Um, I know. Yeah, but listen, Dad. Paid off, it paid off. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, that came out that like initial conversation that we had and we, you know, you approached me like as Ted Baker, so I was saying like perhaps you can do something. I don't know. We had quite a few meetings initially, didn't we? We did to kind of pinpoint what it was that we were going to do. We went through quite a few different ideas, and um, then we had this idea about circus stock, and then it emerged. And I, and I started, you know, we started thinking about what we were going to do with it, like a fashion show, but then where we were going to have this fashion show, and um, and I said, look, you know what? Every year when it's London art fair which is about which is actually now yeah um but every year we have um, a sort of a collaboration with um a law firm called briffa who've got offices where the london art fair show is held at the business design central Newington. let's see if they're up for something doing something together and you know and i went and spoke to to margaret and i said look i know margaret like every year you know, I pushed the boundaries. I know, I know. And I said, but what about we have this? And I said, you know, we've got the surplus stock from Ted Baker, these really young, cool designers, Nathan and, and Dan. And what we're going to do, we're going to accumulate per- participants, participants are going to repurpose the surplus stock and make outfits for you as lawyers. Like what lawyers should be in the 21st century? And she's looking at me and Adrienne, who works there, works alongside Margaret, is like looking at me. And then I said, and then all of you, Briffa lawyers are going to wear these outfits and do a fashion <laughs> show. And she, Margaret went, 
I love it. I love it. <laughs> that was it. I sold. <laughs> I've lived it. Oh, it's amazing. Right, that's great. It was, it was such, yeah, it was such an amazing event. And obviously, like, I think we did the workshop in November with the garments, which got from Ted. And, and like, it, yeah, it was amazing, obviously, what they did with the garments in, in, in the week. I think they had a week to kind of change the garments and, and, and create their own kind of, like, clothing. And, yeah, and it, was, it was incredible kind of to kind of see it come together. Project. It was a great project, you know, and... Um... You know, they loved it. You know, fashion's a really good one anyway. It's very sort of, um, I don't know, it's very uh, tangible. Do you know what I mean? It's tactile. You're making stuff on a yeah. model or whatever. And they got, you know, help from, you know, Ravensbourne fashion students. And there was this like really nice buzz that was going on or whatever. And then when it came to the fashion show, you remember we got it choreographed and someone yeah. came in. But also like all the graphics, you know, because it took us a while to come up with the names, didn't it? Do you remember that? Yeah, I don't, we, it took us a while. And then we, and then we did, and then we added a theme then for the posters, like it was a bit like um, like a police like holding the card, like yeah, <laughs> which yeah, which was I was going to say this is going to be on video on this podcast as well, so <laughs> we'll definitely show it. Okay, yeah, so so yeah, we came up with the idea of, of the wanted posters, like these like lawyers were wanted because I don't know they brought biscuits into the office or they wanted because they um, I don't know they had all funny things in there right. they played video games or they wanted because they're always answering their emails on time or they're not answering emails on time so yeah. these wanted things with the lawyers like lunch it's great yeah, that's amazing yeah it works really well and, so, and it's dead funny as well because like I always had a bit of a weird experience with um my managers at TED and stuff, but then I would sneak off to have meetings with you because they get really funny about it. So I used to like, just, you put into I know, it. yeah, it's like sneak off and like, oh, we'll just grab a coffee and like, where have you gone? I was like, oh, I don't know, I'll just I don't walk around. <laughs> really, just went so quickly. Yeah. Thinking, but then yeah. your phone keeps lighting up with all these messages for yeah. reason. <laughs> It was yeah. great, wasn't it? But now, now I, yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. And like, it was also great to kind of have a bit more kind of understanding of the work you do at QMOI and obviously meet participants. And then, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. It was good. Right. Do you know what? Now I'm even thinking about it because you came to me with this mood board for No Judgment fashion show. Yeah. And it was a whole idea of like, like Narnia and people coming out this wall. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can't believe it's stuck as well. And then, and then I think the issue with them, we couldn't find like this wardrobe. So obviously we were on eBay, like we was, and in the end, um, I think I said to Marius, I was like, you, you, you have to just help with this wardrobe. But I'm, it's, that's tipping me over the edge. Just, I couldn't, I couldn't, the bloody wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, just the posters coming off the wall. Oh, and they kept peeling and like, oh, we had a nightmare didn't, with that and stuff. And then, it was, you know what? Nobody yeah. noticed, but like it was, brilliant like I look back on it like sometimes you know I look at the bit like we have that like, YouTube thing and you look at it and you just think that the creativity that went into that project was off the scale do you know what I mean oh, like off the scale from concept through to the workshops through to like the fashion show, show through to the sort of like the exhibition that we did with the yeah. you know with the posters and everything and like how it all looked it was just like blinking brilliant you know it was yeah. really Right. We, yeah, we loved it. Hopefully, once we get out of COVID, I would love to do like another project like that again. I think it was, yeah, amazing. And yeah. it was really, really good fun. Yeah, and I suppose that's the thing. You know, COVID is like, is there any fun in COVID? I don't think there's any fun at the moment. Yeah, it's just 
George is insane. Yeah, I can't like I can't even do podcasts with people in real life now. So I feel like I feel like the whole season two was um, over Zoom, and I feel like it's the new norm now and stuff. But I mean, it's great as well because you can get more mixture of like different guests from around the world now. But um, yeah, it's a very very strange concept. Exactly, it really forces you to think differently. You know, we we'll definitely work differently moving forward. You know, so it's like it's it's like um, it's been. You know, it is horrifically hard, but in another way, it's it's made us be much more innovative about how we work, you know, and, and like how we reach what's terms as a, as a hard to reach audience. You know, how do we reach those that are really excluded? Because they're even more excluded now. So it does make you think differently, you know, and, and the thing that you're saying, like you can do podcasts with people, you know, around the world where you're collaborating in different ways. And, and yeah. you know, that would never have happened. So, yeah. So it's a strange time, but it's it's it'll never go back, you know. It'll never go back. It's, it's changed forever. Yeah, yeah, it's like adapting now, isn't it? Like, but yeah, well, I just want to say, like, on that note, honestly, thank you so much for coming on the Making Time podcast. Honestly, it's been now it's been amazing, obviously, to kind of hear about the stories from fundraising to that that year off, where it kind of give you that hindsight to what it is you wanted to do. So yeah, no, it's it's been a great podcast and. I think a lot of people take a lot from it. If anyone wants to kind of follow it, accumulate, do you remember the, the handles, Instagram handles off the top of your head? And... Oh, I remember. It's like tattooed across my chest. <laughs> I always feel like I put people on the spot sometimes. You want to say that? And I'm like, uh, uh. Uh, so like, yeah, give us a follow. So it's accumulate, A-C-C-U-M-U-L-A-T-E underscore L-D-N. So we, yeah, that's Twitter and Insta. And obviously you can look at our website, which is accumulate.org.uk. Amazing. So yeah, thanks again, Marius, for coming on. And um, I'm sure we'll definitely meet up once this kind of lockdown easier at some point. We don't know when that is, but um, yeah. Whenever it is, Dan, you're in trouble because we've got another project coming, all right? Here we go, yeah. I better, better change, I better change my number now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so all right. Thanks, guys. All right, thank, thank you. you. Well, bye.